This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Good morning, everyone. It's such a blessing to be here this weekend and, and also just to be home. And I consider Word of Grace my home and I've been here for, for quite a few years and and God has, uh, has allowed me to, to journey out in different other areas of ministry and so forth. But it's so good to be here. And, and I believe that God has a specific word for each and every person that is here today. I believe it's by divine appointment that you are here. And I believe that God has a, a specific word that, 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 is, that is tailor-made just for where you are at right now. And I believe that the word that God has given me is going to help take you to the next level of your journey with him. Is that something that... Uh, uh, it's, it's hard to embrace, but I believe it. I believe that we're that nothing happens by accident. That God has something special for you today if you are simply prepared to receive what He has for you. So let's pray, and I'll get started into the message. Father God, I want to thank you in advance for what you're doing here at Word of Grace. I thank you, Lord, for each and every individual that is here today. I pray, Lord, that our our hearts are fertile ground to receive the anointing teaching of Your Word. I pray that you will anoint my tongue to bring forth your word with clarity and understanding, a message that the adversary cannot withstand or contradict. But this word will accomplish its intended purpose, which is to bring healing and deliverance to your people. Father, help us to be all that you died for us to be. And Lord, have your way today and be glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message is called Rebuilding the Ruins of Our Lives. Rebuilding the Ruins. Uh, I was involved in, in, in ministry, well, for about 30 years. It makes me feel a lot older than what I actually am, but I've uh, been involved in ministry for a long time. And one of the things that I've learned in my journey is that I, 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 was, I did a lot of counseling as a pastor. And it was not uncommon for me to hear so many people saying, I'm just looking for, looking for answers. I'm just looking for answers to the problems and the feelings of despondency and despair. I just feel like that. I just can't get it together. Every time I, I take some steps forward, it seems like someone pulls a rug out from under me and I end up back to where I was and sometimes even further back than what I was when I started. And I find that a lot of times we as individuals, because of some of the wounds of our past, we live very reactive lifestyles. And, and, and reactive lifestyle is, is where the wounds of our past drive our behavior. Sometimes we don't know why we say or do certain things, but we say and do these things and it gets us into trouble. Can anyone relate to that? You know, you say something, you go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh, I've done that. I shouldn't have done that. You know, so many times uh, we have a, a, our ministry was, the, was established about 30 years ago. Our, our national, international office is Denver, Colorado, and we've been in the state of Wisconsin for over seven years, and, and I've been overseeing the region of Manitowoc, Sheboygan, and Ozaki County now for the last three years. But in my travels, I, I find a lot of times that that uh, I, I would drive in these little communities and I would see some of these old farmhouses and sometimes it looked like you would do them a favor by burning it down or tearing it down. But then I'd come back a month or so later and it has this brand new vinyl siding over the house and it looks brand new. And I find that a lot of times we as Christians, that's kind of the, that's kind of the persona that we portray to people. We may be decayed and decrepit on the inside, but we've got this facade on the outside that makes us look like everything is okay but yet we're falling apart on the inside. We just don't want, we don't want to allow people to get too close to us because we have this mindset that if you, really knew, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And so we put on this persona, 
and we live our lives based upon other people's expectations that, in fact, to such a degree, we don't even really know who we are. I may be one thing at work, another at, at school, another at home, and another at church. I put on so many masks that, that I don't know who I am, and I do this because I want to protect myself. I don't want to experience rejection or pain or not being accepted. So I begin to live a life that's, that, that is one that is covered with a facade, and I'm hurting on the inside. And no, we, we have found that so many times that we live our lives according to this behavior. We develop a pseudo-personality that it's just so hard that we don't know who we are. And when I say that we, that we live our lives based upon the expectations of other people or otherwise we live our lives reactively, where the wounds of our past drive our behavior, let me give you an example that, you know, within the third trimester of the womb, our subconscious mind is fully developed. It's taking in data. It takes in all kinds of data, whether good or bad. And until we bring it to consciousness, we don't really understand what truth really is. And so until we define what truth is in our life, we will live reactively. So many times in my own life, and I haven't shared this story in any of the services, but I just feel impressed to share it now. When I moved to Sheboygan in 1980, one of the first jobs I had, I worked in a furniture factory. And I built furniture. And I built furniture for probably for about 10 years when I worked for this company. And I, I and not only was I an assembler of this, of this furniture company, but then I got promoted to supervisor where I was, where I was instructing other people and, and, and setting up the course of, of uh, schedules for today. And then I got bumped into the office where I worked for the engineering department where I would write instructions of how to build furniture. But the crazy thing was that every time my wife would buy something and bring it home, I would say, why can't you buy this put together? Why do I have to build this? I mean, I'd act like a little kid. I wouldn't talk to her for two or three days. I would pout. I'd trip over my lip because I was feeling so sorry for myself. I, and I just had this crazy attitude. It made no sense because I built furniture for a living. This is what I did. It made no sense at all. And then one day, we was going through... Uh, life skills, I was going through one of the classes, the life skills, called the power of the subconscious mind. And, you know, and, and I had taken on, and then I saw myself transported back into time. Something had happened to me when I was eight years old that I had repressed that memory so deeply that I had stuffed it away. But yet I was living my life according to that memory and didn't know it. Here's what happened. When I was eight years old, I, I grew up in West Virginia, and I grew up in real poverty. In fact, I've shared this, that I didn't have running water or indoor plumbing until I moved to Wisconsin in 1976. I grew up in the hills of West Virginia. We got our water out of the spring. We had an outhouse. And the outhouse is just positioned just above the spring, which probably answers a lot of questions. <laughs> but but the, the, thing, the thing was, my, we were so poor. One day, I was sitting by my dad who was underneath the car, and he had his hand positioned under the car, and he was replacing a part on the car, and he says, Junior, when I tell you, take the part out of that box and hand it to me, and I will put it in its place in the car. Well, when you tell an eight-year-old boy to take something out of a box, what happens? I started to play with it. And so I gave it to him in two pieces. And my dad went ballistic because, again, we were so poor. He could, it probably took him almost a week's paycheck just to buy this part. He says to me, he goes, you're the dumbest SOB I've ever seen. You make me sick. Get away from me. I don't want you around me. Now, my dad was my hero, and I'm eight years old, and when an eight-year-old son hears his dad call him these names, that memory hurt deeply. Now, let's fast forward to now I'm getting married, 
And my wife says, hey, hon, would you take this out of the box and put it together for me? So I didn't know why I did this, but that's why I would pout. That's why I would get quiet. That's why I would go and wouldn't talk to her for two or three days because my subconscious mind says, if I take something out of a box, I'm a dumb SOB and I'm going to break it. And the one who loves me is going to yell at me. Now, how do, we, how do I combat that? See, the things we understand we can fix. The things we don't understand will drive us crazy. And so when I realized that this was my wife asking me to do something and not my dad, I, I began to establish a new baseline in my subconscious by saying this is what my wife has asked me to do. It's not the same situation. Even though it's similar, it's not the same event. So I, so I gave myself a reality check by saying this is what my wife has asked me to do, not my dad. So I'm not going to be rejected, but I'm going to be appreciated. In fact, when I come to that realization, that aha moment in my life, I begin to start fixing everything around the house. And my wife says, I don't know what's in you, but stay in Jesus' name. <laughs> because I had this healing. I had this understanding that took place in my life. And I was able to begin to do things and not feel like I was going to be rejected. See, that's how we are if we don't deal with the wounds of our past because it will become toxic and it will become and, and toxic not only in our own lives, but toxic around everyone else that we associate ourselves with. So you see, friends, our lives may be, may be falling apart because we continue to make bad choices, but we, if we come to an understanding why I'm making these bad choices, then I can begin to change these things. I can begin to fix these things, and I can become the person that God created me to be. So I want to look here at the Jesus debut ministry where, he pro where it was prophesied by Isaiah and was recorded in the Gospels of Luke. I want to show us some strategy how we can begin to rebuild the ruins of our broken lives. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Isaiah 61. <clears throat> Isaiah 61. Now, in Luke chapter 4, we'll go back to that in, in a little bit, but Luke chapter 4, this is what Jesus is reading in, in the temple. He opens to Isaiah 61. He begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now verse 4 is what I want to camp on. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. I want to comment on the phrase, the desolations of many generations. And let me suggest an application, a spiritual application to a physical event. See, many of us today are experiencing the consequences and the devastations caused by our ancestors or our parents. Now, again, let me say this from the outset. We are not looking for someone to blame, okay? We are not looking for someone to blame because we have to assume 100% responsibility for our actions and all that we say and all that we do. We're 100% responsible. But if we can understand where the behavior comes from, then we can begin to deal with it. And, there, and that's, that's very important. Because let me say this, that many of us are experiencing these consequences or these devastations that has caused us to go into ruins, the desolations of many generations. We are a product of our parents. We are a product of our grandparents. We are a product of our great-grandparents. Isn't that true? 
Now, whether or not they intended to be dysfunctional, they replicated what was familiar with them, and we become the product of that. But the things we can begin to understand, and we have an owner's manual here that tells us how to get healthy, how to live healthy, how to be healthy, when we begin to incorporate the scriptures in our lives and, how, and God's intended pattern for healthy living and healthy relationships, we can begin to change some things. Again, it's not to blame them, but it's to understand. Now, our research in our ministry has shown us that if you have experienced one or a cluster of these five things before the age of puberty, then your emotions will freeze at that point of trauma. And you will begin to, and your ability to resolve conflict, your ability to give and to receive love will be that as a child. Here are the five things. Rejection, incest, molestation, emotional or physical abuse. If you've had one or a cluster of those things occur in your life before the age of puberty, then the frontal lobe, the cognitive part of your brain, the, the part of your brain that, that, that resolves conflict, that reasons, gets frozen, or in mental health it's called fix, fixated, fixation, or we call it arrested emotional development. Your brain will freeze at that point, and your ability to resolve conflict will be that as a child. You ever see how husbands and wives resolve conflict? Name-calling, blame-shifting, pouting, slamming doors, throwing things. That's how a child behaves. Now, how do we fix that? Well, you see, when we can understand where the wound is coming from and that drives the behavior, the moment you say, aha, like in my situation, the moment I said, aha, this is my wife, not my dad asked me to do this, your brain is set up to, to automatically begin to heal itself. When you understand, that's how God created it. It begins to thaw out. And we will emotionally mature to the age of 30 in our emotional development. In fact, Jesus called it growing up to the full stature. Full stature is 30 years. So we will grow emotionally to the age of 30 years in our cognitive ability to resolve conflict, to give, and to receive love. But you see, some of us may be wondering, why do I act like a child? Why do I do these things that get me into trouble? Chances are you're being driven by the wounds of your past, and you will live, act out accordingly. You see, friends, if you're raised in an environment where there's rejection, shame, fear, anxiety, and helplessness, then you have a very difficult time accepting truth because you can't trust anyone. You can't accept pain as a learning tool which affects our ability to learn. Again, some of us are the victims of what we call life commandments. We embrace uh, we, uh, some, we embrace these things that drive our behavior. For example, you hear, maybe you heard as a child, you're never going to mouth anything. I heard that when I was 10 years old. You're not going to mouth anything. Your whole family are losers, and you're not going to be anything, anything better. You know, that drove me to prove that person wrong. Now, some people would just yield to that. If I'm not going to mouth anything, why try? Why should I apply myself? But I become a, a workaholic, an academic workaholic where I continue to study. I've got my Ph.D. in theology because I wanted to prove that I can be something in my life. But on the other hand, that extremity began to affect my relationships because it was all about me, allowing these wounds to drive my behavior. But you see, friends, if you, if you, if you, if you feel you hear these things, sometimes you have this attitude that I, I don't deserve to be loved that I'm simply getting, I don't like what's happening to me, but I probably deserve this. Let me share with you briefly a story about my own brother. My brother Jeff died two years ago at the age of 50. 
He was the middle child. And we find in our research that every child before the age of puberty, every child before the age of puberty will assume 100% responsibility for every painful event that occurs in their life, whether it be a death, a divorce, abandonment, adoption. They will begin to say, it's my fault. There must be something wrong with me if my caregiver will not take care of us. My brother Jeff was nine years old when, my, when our mother decided to leave us. I became a surrogate parent, began to raise my brothers and sisters because I was the oldest. But my brother Jeff began to feel at nine years of age, it must be my fault that she left. It must, it's, it's my problem. Now, he didn't know this consciously, but this is how he behaved. This is how his, this is how his actions portrayed that something was wrong with me. So he would not allow people to get close to him because the way he felt that he was so unlovable that nobody would want to love him. Then we had another brother that was between me and Jeff. His name was Greg. Greg was born with a half a kidney. We're all, we all have two kidneys, but Greg was born with a half. So when Greg began to grow up, Greg needed a transplant in order to live. When Jeff was 15, Jeff says, I will give him one of my kidneys. So they take Greg in, they prep Greg, they remove his, his half kidney, and they get ready to go to Jeff, and Jeff says, I can't go through with this. I can't do this. Jeff gets off the operating table and leaves the hospital. A couple years later, Greg dies. So Jeff now lives with the guilt that, that it's his fault that mom left. Now he lives with the guilt that he killed his brother. So when you live with this type of guilt and this, and this, and this shame that you are no good, that you are unlovable, you don't deserve to be loved, you begin to punish yourself. And he began to punish himself with drugs and alcohol. Because he felt, I deserve to be punished. I don't like living this life, but I deserve it. This is all I'm, this is all I'm entitled to. And then he gets married, ends up in a divorce. Gets married a second time, his wife dies. So in his mind, every female person in his life abandons him. This is how he lives. And Jeff had made a commitment to the Lord, but... But because of his pain, he just couldn't go any further in that commitment. Do you know that our faith will never go deeper than the pain of our wounds? Let me say that again. Our faith will never go deeper than the pain of our wounds. A lot of times we embrace the gospel message. And yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But do you ever wonder why it's so difficult for you to grow and to mature and to embrace spiritual things? It's because you can't get beyond your pain. And it is a struggle for you to embrace truth that's going to propel you to the next level of your journey with God. So until you take that to the cross and face the pain and not run from it and not ignore it, but face it and walk through it, until you do that, you'll never grow to another level in your journey with God. You will always, you will always be triggered and, and, and be thrust backwards until you deal with the pain in your life. I remember getting a call two years ago from the doctor in, in Jefferson St. Norbert's in Green Bay. He had moved up, there, up here with me from West Virginia. The doctor says, Andy, he's not coming out. He's, he's dying. He will not make it through the weekend. This was on a Wednesday. I go up and I, and I said, Jeff, I said, Jeff, you're, you're dying. You need to get your life right with Jesus Christ. And up to this point, he would never talk to me, allow me to talk with him about Jesus. In fact, he would physically attack me every time I would try to talk to him about Christ. And he was just always resistant because it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad, why would even God want me? I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve anybody's love. This is how he acted. 
But for the first time, he allowed me to take his hand and pray with him. And I prayed with him and led him in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, to rededicate his life back to God. On Friday, I went back to the hospital, and Jeff was already in a coma. Couldn't speak, couldn't communicate. And I remember laying my hands on him and said, Jeff, it's time to go home. It's time to go home. The peace that you have been struggling for, the peace you have been yearning for, it's just on the other side. Let go. And I laid hands on him and I prayed. And I saw two tears coming down his eyes. He couldn't communicate. He was in a coma. But all of a sudden, he raises his hands in heaven like this and drops it. The next day, he entered into eternity and experiencing the peace that he so has been desiring. Many of us today probably have a lot of wounds in our own lives that's been driving our behavior, and it's just, it's just been irritating you, driving you nuts because you just don't know. Sometimes you feel like he's beating your head against the wall because you don't know why you do what you do, and it's making you insane. It's because you're being driven by the wounds of your past, and you have, have to take it to the cross. In fact, let me share with you Jesus' mission to rebuild the ruins of our lives. In Isaiah 61, he says the first thing, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel or preach the good news to the poor. See, the poor is not referring to one's economic condition, but to the humble of heart. To be destitute or bankrupt, this was displayed very well in the story of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son, he had a need, but that wasn't enough to drive him back to the father. But it was when he came to the point of desperation and despair that drove him to repentance and back to the Father. In fact, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To be in poor in spirit is a complete absence of pride. You know that pride will close the door to, God, to God's work in your life? The pride will close the door to God and stop the change process in your work, in your life. Pride is a fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It says, I don't need anybody's help. I don't need God's help. I don't need anybody's help. I can do this on my own. But you see, friends, poor in spirit is one who has a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. One who's poor in spirit says, I need God. I'm desperate for God. I need God to come in and help me because otherwise I can't do this on my own. I'm going to fall short. The second tool that he gave us, Jesus says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. In order to rebuild the ruins of your life, Jesus says, I, I've come to put your heart back together. See, brokenhearted in the Greek means to tear one's body and to shatter one's strength, to suffer extreme sorrow, to be crushed. I don't know about you, but have you ever had your heart ripped out of your chest to such a degree of the pain you're experiencing that you can't even utter a syllable? That you just quiver and quake all over? Your mouth is moving, but nothing is coming out? I've been there. I felt my heart being crushed so many times, whether it be through broken dreams or disappointments in my life, that I just wasn't able to even pray. Couldn't even utter a syllable. And we see this exact same example in Luke chapter 22 with the Apostle Peter. And let me read this to you in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. This is the story where Satan asked permission to sift Simon Peter. It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In verse 34, and he said, 
I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you knew me. Now jump down to verse 60 of Luke 22. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Verse 62. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. That word wept bitterly is the exact same Greek word as, as broken hearted. Peter was crushed in his heart. But here's the picture. This is the only reference in the Bible where it talks that when Peter denied Christ, when the rooster crowed, it says the Lord looked at Peter. And can you imagine? I would imagine that all, everything just stopped. That you could have heard a pin drop. Because it says when Jesus looked at Peter, it says Peter also looked at Jesus. Can you imagine their eyes meeting? And Peter went out and wept bitterly because he had denied one that he said that I would even go to prison and even die for you. His heart was shattered. His heart was crushed because he had failed so many times. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, we see that Peter is now restored. The picture is Jesus is, is, by, the, is by the beach. He's got a fire burning and he's, and he's frying some fish. Peter sits down and Jesus asks him three times. He says, Peter, do you love me? The first instance when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He says, do you love me the God kind of way? In other words, the Greek is agape. Do you love me the agape way? Do you love me the way that I love you? Peter's response was, yes, Lord, I love you. But the Greek says, I love you as a brother. Not quite to the same depth or magnitude as the love which Jesus says, I, I love you. Peter says, I love you as a brother. And this went on for, for a bit. Then the third time, Jesus asked Peter, says, Peter, do you even love me? as a brother. And Peter, at this time, because his heart was still very tender, his heart was now exposed. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know everything, God. I can't, I can't fool you. I can't hide behind this facade because my heart has been laid bare before you, and you see all that's in me. Yes, Lord, I do love you as a brother. Jesus says, now feed my sheep. See, God is looking for us to get to the point where our heart is laid bare where there's no pride, where there's no facade, but we are, we are laid bare so he can take the, rocket, the rotten substructure of our lives, the foundation that is starting to fall. He can remove that and put his foundation in our lives so we can stand firm upon his promises and be the people that he wants us to be. The next tool is deliverance to the captives. Deliverance to the captives. In Psalms 142, verses 6 and 7, he says, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. You see, this third mission of Jesus, of rebuilding the ruins of our lives, is deliverance to those things that have held us captive. Whether they be habits, whether it be strongholds, whether it be lies that you have believed about yourself in the past, Jesus said, I come to deliver you from those things so you can be the people that I want you to be. I don't want you to rely upon your own abilities, your own self-reliance, but I want you to trust me so you can be the people that I died for you to be. See, we need to be taught who we are in Christ. 
We need to understand our relationship with Jesus, our responsibility, and our authority that we have as a believer. Now, Jesus adds two more statements in Luke 4.18. Let's look to that, Luke chapter 4. And this is where Jesus is reading out of Isaiah. This is how it's quoted in the Gospels. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You see here, he names two other, two other items that help us to rebuild the wounds of our lives. And this one is recovery of sight to the blind. The inference here is that they were able to see at one time. They had a knowledge of the truth. They understood the truth. But they, it's interesting, the Greek word here means to dulling of one's intellect. It's like looking at things through a cloud of smoke. Now, bring it down where we can, where we can, something we can identify with. If you've been driving your car this last couple of weeks, it's like looking through the windshield of your car with all the salt on the front of it. It's just dull. You can't see beyond very far. You're very restricted. But what happens is, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we have an adversary, the enemy. He's called the mind blinder. And this mind blinder will try to deceive you and, pre and prevent you from embracing the truth so that you can walk in freedom. Now, how many people here have loved ones that are not saved? How many? You're trusting God to save someone in your household. Let me give you a nugget. We do not have the ability or the, or the authority over a person's will. But we have authority over the mind blinder. Think about that. Jesus says, all power and all authority I give to you. So when I begin to pray for my family, every one of my family members have, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ right now. And I remember when I begin to pray, I would name out their name, and I would say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the mind blinder, that he cannot blind their minds to the receptivity of the truth. But they're going to hear the truth, it's going to penetrate their hearts, and it's going to create your intended purpose, which is to heal and to deliver people from destruction. For you say in your word that you desire that none should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. So I begin to proclaim that word and speak that word, binding the works of the enemy. We have to walk in our authority as a believer. We have the power, we have the anointing to break these strongholds in our loved one's lives and begin to watch God. I begin to pray for my family members, their best friends, that God would save them. Because they'll receive it from them, they wouldn't receive it from me. But God began to save their friends. And they begin to share the gospel with them. The Bible also says, and, and I believe it's in Luke chapter 8, it says that, it's like, let's talk about the parable of the sower and the seed. It says that the seed, that when the seed is planted in the heart, so the devil comes immediately to steal it out unless they would believe the truth and be saved. So, we, so when I'm preaching here today, I'm, I'm proclaiming that the devil cannot steal the seed. I'm speaking to you right now. That you are off limits to the work of the devil in your life concerning the word that I am preaching. But this word is going to impregnate your heart and is going to produce the fruit that God so desires to be produced in your life. The deliverance, the joy, the peace that you so desire, God is going to bring that to fruition in your life right now because the devil is not going to steal the seed out of your heart. See, that we can speak in authority. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things... And these things is in reference to the, to the items in verses 5 through 8, which are virtues that promote spiritual growth and character. He says, when you lack these virtues that promote spiritual growth and character, it says you're short-sighted, even to blindness, and you have forgotten that he was cleansed. See, friends, I, I made the statement earlier 
that our faith will not go deeper than the pain of our wounds? You see, friends, I believe that life skills, the ministry that I'm a part of right now, it is a great tool for discipleship. Because some of you have gotten so frustrated. You've studied, you've been in the Bible studies, you've been in a small group, you've been going to church, but yet you feel that you haven't gone any far in your journey with God. In fact, sometimes you feel like you've just been taken backwards. It's because you have to deal with the pain of your wounds first. When I was a small groups pastor at, my, at the last church, one of the things that I did, I began to establish small groups that dealt with emotional healing, divorce care, grief share, uh, making peace with your past, healing of damaged emotions. I began to deal where people were at, their woundedness, because otherwise they got into small groups, they would suck the life out of the small groups because they would talk about their pain and their problems, and nobody else would come back to the groups. They don't want to hear that. And so I begin to deal with their emotional pains and wounds first and, and help, them, help them to take it to the cross so they can get healthy. And then they were, then they were able to be effectively discipled. So if you're, if you're struggling with the understanding of the word, you're struggling with truth, maybe you need to take a look. Is there some areas in your life that you need to take it to the cross to get healing in so that you have the capacity to receive truth that's going to take you to the level in your journey that you want to go? And the final thing is to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The King James says, set at liberty those who are bruised. And I think this, this is a great word picture. See, to be bruised or oppressed means to be broken by calamity. Physically, a bruise is a rupture beneath the surface of unbroken skin. See, spiritually speaking, bruises are trouble beneath the surface. And I believe that Jesus is dealing with our emotional hurts right here. See, many have struggled to get set free only to fall deeper into oppression and bondage. Why? Because they kept dealing with the surface manifestations of the problem and they never get to the root of the problem. It's easy to put a Band-Aid on something, but it's going to keep resurfacing until you go to the core and begin to deal with the core issue of why this problem is there to begin with. So until you deal with the core, you're not going to be set free. You're going to repeat the bad behavior. You're going to repeat the bad choices. And you're just going to be frustrated and wondering why things are not turning out for you. Well, that's the definition of insanity. You do the same things over and over and over again, expecting different results. Let me give you a good illustration in closing. I don't like spiders. Spiders drive me crazy. I've got this real nice deck on my house. And, and one of my favorite things to do is sit on my deck and put my mind in neutral and just veg out. I love it. But I'll be out there one nice spring day, and all of a sudden, I look, and there's spider webs around all the spindles and coming off the lattice, and you, know, you walk out the door, and you've got the spider webs out of your head, you know, and, and you just, oh, man, what's the spider webs? So I go into my, our closet in the kitchen, and I get our little pink Swiffer that we have, and because I'm secure in my manhood, I'll go in public with this pink Swiffer. And I'm knocking down these spider webs. And I'm, going, I'm walking around the deck, and I'm feeling really good about myself. I've got them all the spider webs. I put it away, and I go. And the next day, I come back out again. I sit down, I look. There's those spider webs again. What's the deal? I, I go back to the closet, get my pink Swiffer, and I come back out. And I'm repeating the behavior all again. I'm knocking the spider webs down. Why do the spiders keep? Why do the spider webs keep coming back? I've got to kill the spider. If you don't kill the spider, the spider webs will, be coming, will keep coming back. 
And that's the way it is in our own lives. We have spiders in our lives that we haven't killed yet. And these things keep surfacing in our lives. And the behaviors keep coming back. The choices keep coming back because we haven't killed the spider. So until you kill the spider, these things are going to resurface in your life. So now I look for spiders. And I begin to kill the spiders so that those spider webs don't come back. I want to pray for each and every person that's here right now. And I'm going to pray that God will show you where the spiders are in your life so that you can take authority over it and kill them. So that you're not repeating the, ba the behaviors that has been driving you nuts. Now, I have some information on the table out there about life skills if you're interested. You can stop in and see me there. Uh, and, and it's a program, educational program, that we will help you on a journey to, to help you understand why, best way to describe it is how God put you together and where you were short-circuited. And we're going to show you how to fix that. So let me just pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for each and every person here. You know every person that is here because you have sent them here today by divine appointment. You have seen the hurts. You have seen the wounds. You have seen the frustrations in their lives. Father, you have seen the struggles, the emotional struggles they have been dealing with that has been driving them crazy. So, Father, I want to break that stronghold in their life right now. I want to pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of their understanding and help them to begin to see the spiders that are in their life, that they can begin to take control of those things and begin to, to put an end to the things that have been driving their behavior. Lord, there are so many that have, that have experienced a spirit of rejection. So many have experienced this, this spirit of inferiority or in inadequacy. They don't feel they're good enough. Some, some may even believe they're unlovable as well. Lord, your word says that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made and that you don't make junk. That every person here has been created for a reason that only they can fulfill. Every person here has a unique calling in their own right because they're going to impact somebody in their sphere of influence. So, Father, I pray that you would give them the liberty that they so desire and help them to be the people that you died for them to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.